0: getting hitched? There's a podcast for that and you're listening to it. The Save the Date Wedding Podcast, the number one podcast about all things wedding Welcome to the Save the Date Wedding Podcast. I'm Alicia, your host, your virtual bridesmaid, I have been dubbed. And if you are listening to this when this episode's released, Happy New Year, if not also Happy New Year, If it's June, well, Happy New Year somewhere in the universe. If you are new to the Save the Date Wedding Podcast, a massive welcome. You'll get to know the community. I hope you follow me on Twitter and Instagram. You'll find my links. Just go to savethedatepodcast.com do a follow and get to know me and the wonderful community that's sort of grown in the past year of producing this show. I guarantee if you go back and listen, this is episode 123, so if you go back and have a binge listen, a lot of people write to me and say, I started at episode 46 and now I've gone back and listened to all of them and I've caught up and uh, that really excites me. I do two shows a week. Monday is a themed episode, like today. And then Thursday, I take your very special wedding questions. And they don't have to be wedding specific entirely. I get a lot of people writing about family issues, money, trying to figure out if they, uh, well, look, lots of bridesmaid and groomsman stuff. Very interesting. Some of the moral quandaries we come up with. One of the best questions of last year came from a lovely listener who was having trouble with deciding whether to invite her maid of honor's boyfriend because he was a dickhead basically and everyone got involved. We all had a bit of feedback to give her and in the end she decided to change her whole wedding and uh, not have a huge bridal party, not have a huge guest list. They downgraded and that's happening this year. Alicia, thank you so much. You're a wonderful listener, and I appreciate it. See, I get involved. If you write me an email, I will guarantee I will write back. And uh, if you wish to remain anonymous, which lots of people do when they're asking personal questions, just say so in your correspondence, and I will make up a flashy name for you. I'm very excited about today's show. I just have to say... Over the Christmas holidays, over the holiday period, uh, my husband, Rich, and I got some new toothbrushes, right? And this is, I promise you, this is not, well, it's probably a boring story, but here's the thing. You know, the toothbrushes, I can be kept going to the dentist and the dentist kept saying, you got to get an electric toothbrush. You got an electric toothbrush. And eventually over Christmas, we ordered some off Amazon and they've got a timer in them. Can I just say, I don't know if you use an electric toothbrush with a timer. They've really improved since I last used an electric toothbrush. They've got the timer. They say two minutes is the recommended time. Oh, my God. Two minutes on a toothbrush timer is the longest two minutes of my life. I used to do a lot. Well, you know, stand-up comedy is my thing. I used to do a lot of five-minute open mic nights when I first started. And those five minutes could be the longest five minutes of your life on stage. Or they could go really quickly, especially if you were killing it and everyone was loving it and you didn't want to leave. And um, I was trying to think the other day, brushing my teeth using this new toothbrush, about the two minutes, going, oh, Jesus Christ, this is the longest two minutes of my life. Just hurry up. Although my teeth are very shiny and clean now. So thanks, dentist. Thanks, Amazon. What ifs? All right. Should we get on with the show? Uh, yes. Just don't even ask your rhetorical questions, Alicia. Just do it. Now, I am very excited about today's episode. It is a much requested topic. And uh, look, it was really inspired, to be honest. I was prompted by lovely listener Hillary. I shared her email a couple of weeks ago in an episode with my husband Rich who co-hosted and she asked in amongst her other points that she made in her email for a special episode that focuses on what she referred to as micro budget weddings. That's under six grand and she said she'd love to hear a podcast about how to save money And also how to figure out what is important when it comes to planning a wedding on a smaller budget. And now we're going to get to what smaller budget means, because I think everyone has different ideas of how much money is appropriate to spend on a wedding, what a lot of money is and what a lot of money isn't. And uh, it's going to be basically depending on who you are, what you earn, where you're from, it can mean a lot of different things. However, today's episode I've decided to keep it uh in the five thousand US dollar limit area. Now, if you're in Australia, at this current exchange rate, depending on whether things crash when you're listening to this or not, it's about seven grand Australian. Three thousand three hundred Great British pounds. Which is possibly I don't know if it's a lot of money here. It is a lot of money. I live in the UK and uh Yeah, three grand's a lot of money. Also, here you go, fun facts. In Japan, it's 607,000 yen. Or if you're dealing in Indian rupees, 334,361 Indian rupees. I'm suspecting if you're getting married in India, you probably get quite a lot for that amount of money. Don't know, generalizing here. Do you remember on... uh, (laughs) This just reminds me of this clip. I have to play it for you. Can I borrow some pillows? What for? Well, uh, my Japanese friends are going to stay with me. I thought they all had sweets at the plaza. Well, I'm sorry, Jerry. We all don't have checks rolling in like you do. Well, what about all that money from the kimonos I wear? They ran out of it. Manhattan can be quite pricey, even with 50,000 yen. 50,000 yen? Isn't that only a few hundred dollars? Evidently. (laughs) One of the many examples of Cosmo Kramer not getting exchange rates. I just always laugh. I always think about yen and go, 50,000 yen? It's 500 bucks. It's nothing. I digress. So one of the questions that I receive rather often is about budgeting and money and how much money you should spend on your wedding, which is basically one of these weird rhetorical questions that I can't answer because I don't know your financial situation, your priorities in life, what you value, what you find good value for money. Because honestly, we could be talking, um, you know, fifty, hundred thousand dollars if you've got access to the money and you want to spend it. I say go ahead. I'm not trying to be a total tight ass or a Debbie Downer or a Killjoy when it comes to talking about cash and weddings. But one of the big messages in my book that I have released for free, The Guide to Getting Hitched, download it now at (laughs) savethedatepodcast.com, is that everyone's idea of what good value for money and budgeting is different. Now, if you have $100,000 to spend on a wedding, and you feel comfortable spending that amount of money, and it's not going to get you into deep financial shit, then I say, hey, have a good time. Enjoy yourself. And how did you make that money? Can I have some advice? I'd like to have that sort of money to throw around. However, Some people, even if they've got a hundred grand to spend on a wedding, go, I don't want to spend that much money on a wedding because it's ridiculous. It's a six hour party. Let's move on with our lives. Let's buy a car or pay off a mortgage or something. So again, I never want to appear to be judging or putting a message out there that you're doing the right thing or someone else is doing the wrong thing. It's completely up to you and your partner and your family as to how much money you spend. However, A lot of people are not in the position to be spending thousands and thousands. I'm going to talk in dollars here because I know a lot of people are listening in America. Just transpose it to your own currency. Thousands of whatever you use on the wedding day. And to be honest, if you want to, if you're wanting to buy a house or go on an amazing honeymoon or just pay your rent, it is often a lot of uh, pressure put on you when you're planning a wedding to be spending thousands of, of dollars on a photographer, or a dress, or caterers. One of the big things we noticed when we were planning our wedding is that we had quite firm goals on what we wanted to spend. And when you start getting quotes, and you realise the initial quotes can be god awful. I'm going to be preparing you if you haven't done this before. When you write and you have these sort of expectations, you're like, "Hi, I'd like you to cater my wedding. I want 50 people." Blah blah blah. blah. And someone writes back going, "That's going to be $19,000." And you're like, "Are you fucking kidding? What? Pump the brakes!" Have, we, have you, let's just talk again. I want you to cater my wedding 50 people, not 500. And then they write back and go, yeah, that's right. It's $19,000 plus GST or plus VAT or plus goods and services plus tax or whatever. So there are going to be moments when you start the quotation journey that you just want to give it all up and go and live in a caravan in the bush somewhere because it's going to get messy, but I promise you there are plenty of ways, as I'm going to speak about today, to cut the costs and also just think a little bit laterally when it comes to your wedding budget. You may be listening to this and saying, well, we've got forty grand to spend, or we've got $10,000 to spend, or we have $500 to spend. Everything I'm going to talk about today is completely versatile and adaptable when it comes to your wedding p- budget, but I just wanted to be able to say, here are the things I would spend the money on if I had $5,000 to plan a wedding, here's where I would put the cash. So to start off with, I will say there are so many wonderful resources uh, on the online, in the online world, one of which uh, is a wonderful person I've had on the show numerous times and she's coming up again. It's lovely Jess from the Budget Savvy Bride. If you haven't visited the budgetsavvybride.com, I would say don't stop listening now after you <laughs> after you listen to this podcast, take a visit to the com because what she does is her tagline is Helping Brides Create Beautiful Weddings Without Breaking the Bank. And what's lovely is that she has a section of her website, you can see it on the front page, which is Browse Weddings by Budget. And she's sort of got everything from one to $20,000. And you can click on it and read real-life accounts of brides and grooms, brides and brides, grooms and grooms, all planning their weddings within a certain budget and all of the listings or the stories just give you all the advice and suppliers and vendors so it's also really great if you are looking for vendors that are trying to fit into a certain budget um, range that you can go to these websites and find them this is part of the the great situation that we're in I interview a lot of wedding bloggers who all started their blogs in sort of 2007, 2008. And that seems to be the magic time when people were getting married and didn't have access to Pinterest all those years ago. Just <laughs> do you remember a time when there was no Pinterest? A lot of people don't. But you know, when there weren't the resources that we have now, you were so lucky to be getting married in whenever you are, 2016, 2016. 17, 18, whenever you're listening to this, it is a great time to be able to have access to fantastic information and resources. I mean, listen to this. You're listening to this podcast absolutely free. I've created 123 episodes so far, all for nothing. And I try and bring you resources and great expert advice and interviews to help you solve these problems. So, that's one of my first first suggestions is to take some time to spend some time on Jess's page. There are heaps of other websites, but it's really good. It's very thorough. It's lovely to look at, and uh, she's a great guest. If you haven't heard the episodes, go back and listen. They're fantastic, if I do say so myself. Hands down, I will say before you do anything, you need to be able to sit down and realize we'll have the conversation basically about the priorities. What's important to you? What are the must-haves when it comes to your wedding day? What are the things that you could say, mm, okay, if I didn't have them, I'm not going to die. No, actually, no one's going to die. Nothing about your wedding. You're going to die if something doesn't happen, by the way. However, if there's something that you say, I've always really wanted champagne. I don't know. I've always really wanted a four-tier cake. Probably don't need a four-tier cake. However, you can have a four-tier cake, have one layer of real cake and three tiers a fake cake, which is what Rich and I did. We had a three-tier cake. One layout was mmm, delicious, delicious cake. And the two were just iced. What's it called? Forest? I can't say it. Oh, my God. I want to say styrofoam. I was going to say styrofoam fyrostome. That's not a real thing. It could be, but it's not. There are ways to get around these sort of dream ideas. you just got to think laterally. So, so my first suggestion is to sit down and have a quite open conversation with your partner about what is important to you when it comes to that $5,000 or $10,000. You can adapt to this to be whatever you want. For me, I would say one area that was non-negotiable for us was great photography. We wanted to be able to have photos that we could look back on to know that they're gonna be great, you know, covered, we're gonna have everything covered and we're going to be able to look back and really cherish the moments that we had on that day. For me, whenever when anyone writes to me and says, We're gonna have a really intimate wedding, what do you suggest? I say, Grab a photographer, even if it's for an hour or two. If you're having five people at your wedding, have someone there to document it that's not in the wedding. People are always like, yeah, but my uncle will take the photos. Well, I don't know how good. Maybe your uncle's a professional photographer and that's great. But also, you want your family and friends to be there enjoying the day as well and not having to be on duty. So one thing I would say is if you are umming and ahhing about professional photography there are really ways to get around having to spend heaps of money on it but also being able to allocate a realistic amount of money to make sure you get decent quality photography. You don't want to have photos that are shit basically. You can't redo this stuff. These are memories that cannot be remade. Of course, there are fantastic apps out now. There's Appy Couple and Wedding Party, and there are heaps more where you can download for free and get everyone else to download the app. And every photo that they take on their iPhone or Android at your wedding event or wedding-related events, they are then uh, they're gathered by the apps and shared with you so do if you are getting into this situation of saying all right I've only got a photographer for an hour or we only have someone that can come for a couple of hours or cover this ceremony but not come to the reception there are ways to get around negotiating with professional photographers for shorter periods of shooting time then make sure you download one of these amazing apps and get your guests ahead of time to download the apps so that you can gather and hunt all of their photography um, for the day because it's really nice we captured we had some amazing photos from our wedding guests that are you know some of our favorite photos and they were captured by guests and you know we wouldn't have been able to get them had we not had those apps well that's not a, a lie actually you can find them but how often do people go Oh, I've got this great photo I'm going to send it to you and then they never send it to you and you chase them and then their phone gets deleted or they drop it in a toilet or something they haven't backed it up the photos are gone So if you are relying on your friends and family for the photographs and the taking photos on their devices, which to be honest, I don't know. I've got an iPhone 6 and honestly, the photos that the iPhone 6 take are better than our old digital camera that we've still got in a drawer. It's crazy how technology has improved in the last couple of years. So go to the effort. Find one of these apps, download, register, get into it, and make sure that you give your guests um, warning ahead of time to download the app because sometimes if you are getting married out of town, people aren't on Wi-Fi, they won't have the opportunity to get the app prior to the event. And you don't want people downloading apps at your wedding service. You don't want people having a phone at your wedding service. Unplugged weddings. It's a really big topic. I really feel strongly about it. Everyone pop the phones in your purses, your pockets, your wallets, and live life. Live life. So three of the biggest major expenses that come to uh, planning a wedding are venues, catering, and then I would say the dress. Some people would say alcohol. That's true. It depends on what your expectations are of booze and your expectations are of clothing. When it comes to venues and getting hitched, a really quick way to save money is to not have a change of location. If you can get married and have a reception and the party in one place, it cuts out a couple of things. It cuts out transport for you and your guests in between areas. It's also cuts out time of having to dick around getting people there and back. And uh, if you can get married, one of the things, if you can get married at a national park or in a public park and uh, it's a pretty place... You have a backup plan. This is very important. I'm going to go into detail with this as well. Weather is something you cannot control. You can control a lot of things when it comes to weddings, but Mother Nature, she does whatever she wants. So if you are considering, if you're an outdoorsy person, if you're living somewhere that has an amazing park or national park that has a great view, that might have a fantastic picnic area that you know is a place that you can imagine getting hitched. I would say that's one of the first places that you should consider if you are trying to get married on a budget or if you just want someplace somewhere spectacular that perhaps a lot of people don't get married at. I think a lot of people don't consider these sort of public spaces because they think, well, they're not available, that they might cost a lot of money or that they are, well, to be honest, that they're unable to actually book a specific place and you might have to sort of make it up on the day, which is partially true. But again, let's go over it. If you are looking for an outdoor space. Now, of course, as I say, I'm broadcasting from the UK. I'm an Australian and I know a lot of my listeners are in America. So I try and keep this information quite general for you. But I've been doing a bit of research and to be honest, a lot of the advice that's given in, on the websites that I've been looking at, especially on The Knot is where I've got a lot of the info for today's this section of today's show, It, it they're quite the same. National parks seem to cover and follow the same or similar rules in most Western countries. So... When you are looking for a national park or outside area to have a wedding service and party, it's important that you contact the national park in particular that you are looking at inquiring about and asking about their rules, especially when it comes to permits. One thing I always say to people is if you, and and this happened for us in the wedding venue we got hitched in, if you find a picture of a wedding or a write-up about a wedding on a blog It's not, it's not unusual to contact that blog or to do some Googling and find that, that couple or find the wedding planner that may help, have helped plan that wedding or a photographer and ask some more information about how they went about doing what they're doing. We got hitched at a private house called the Boyd Baker House, and um, I, you know, we did some ring arounds, and we ended up finding a friend of Rich's through his university course who'd also gotten married at that venue, and we just had a little quick chat with them and said, "What do you do? How, what were the rules? How many people could you have?" So it was great being able to speak to someone who had gone through that situation and uh, had some quick answers for us and told us about their experiences. So. If you have a particular national park or public space that you wish to get married in, and when I say public space, for example, where I come from in Australia, in Tasmania, the local council have lots of spaces um, that are quite cool. They own art galleries. They own um, in, in Hobart at the docks, which sounds a lot grimier. It's not like the docks where people are like, like loading shit on boats. Well, they do. But there's also been quite nice public buildings that you can hire. For quite cheap at certain times of the year. Um, So, there are lots of sort of areas like that. If you can get advice, it's surprising how many local areas and councils and governments have these spaces that no one really knows exist. They don't really publicise them very much. But if you know where to dig and what to look for, you can find some really good, inexpensive, amazing spaces. For you to get hitched in. So when it comes to public parks and spaces, it's important to ask about permits, what you are able to do, when and where. Some parks allow drinking and alcohol. Some require you to pay a permit, which is probably about a hundred dollars to say, yes, we're going to have this many people. They're going to be serving alcohol between this time and this time. And that is cool. Also, it's important to ask about where on the day you can set up where you are permitted to maybe get someone going there earlier in the day and cordoning off an area, that's perfectly acceptable. You just need to plan ahead and make sure you have those people, and uh, you know what you're allowed to get away with doing. And in what time frame? How early can someone arrive to do this? Also, some parks and par- parks, parks and parks, some parks will allow you uh, to book a specific space, and they will do it all for you. It must be, you must remember if you want to get married in the peak season, the tourism season in summer, a lot of parks will just tell you to fuck off in a polite way because they'll say, listen, we have 100,000 people coming. You know, the Rocky Mountains, I was looking at their website this morning and they were saying, listen, it's great that you want to get married here, but we have 48,000 buses coming through in the day. We can't be blocking off roads for weddings. You've got to remember these spaces are also public spaces and uh, you need to be a little bit versatile. Also remember animals are things, they are creatures that we share the space with. So if you're serving food and you're near grizzly bears, you might want to rethink how you do that. Again, a park will be able to give you lots of advice. Uh, Also about catering and uh, what you can do decor wise, Of course, if you're using a park or a a beautiful space, I know here in London, they've got some gorgeous park spaces where they've got rules where they go, well, you can't have a fire here. You can't have a barbecue. You aren't allowed to be putting up tents. You can't just just walk down the road and put up a marquee in the middle of a park or a soccer pitch or something. It just doesn't work like that. It's really just about doing your research, but also making sure if you spot a building and it has some sort of government plaque or something on it, make a call, ring and ask who owns it? How do I get access to it? This is really fun when it comes to organising a wedding and you've got a bit of time up your sleeve. This is the really fun bit when you can find a space that perhaps no one had thought of getting married at before or find a space that perhaps is a little harder to negotiate. But if you have the benefit of time up your sleeve, you might be able to find something really cool in a very small budget range. Also, I've mentioned before, Airbnb is awesome for finding places. It's important that you are honest and open about what you're planning to do there. You can't just hire someone's house and put on a wedding. Well, you could. You just don't want to be a dick about it and something go wrong and then you ending up having to pay a big bill. There is actually a box now you can tick that says available for events on Airbnb. That's something that people have obviously listed their property and said, this is a big haul or something or come and get married on our farm. You can save a lot of money, especially if you're having a smaller wedding and you want to be bringing in your own catering or you want to self-cater. Um, that can be a really good option as well. There are heaps of websites like Event Up and uh, Women Getting Married is one of my lovely previous guests I've had on the show. It's a fantastic wedding blog. And uh, Lindsay also runs a great venue search via womangettingmarried.com. That's one I'd recommend to have a look at. There are heaps and heaps of options when it comes to venues. Now, catering again is another big decision to make, and it's also a matter of where you're getting married as to who they will allow to bring in food. So if you want to do outside catering, but you're at a hotel, just forget it. It's not going to happen. If you are getting married at a self-catering place and they say everything is up for grabs, then that is great. You can bring in your own caterer, you can cook yourself, you can have people bring a potluck wedding as they say, bring plates and, uh, and, and cater it yourself. But m- you must remember that Cooking for large groups is a lot of work. So I have brides write to me saying, I'm going to self-cater the wedding. I'm actually going to cook all the food. And I go, hey, listen, listen to me. You don't want to be doing that. And maybe, maybe you've got a really great friend that runs a catering company, or you have a friend who just can cook amazing lasagnas, and you're just going to do a big lot of Italian, I don't know. Shared plates or something. But you don't want to be sitting in the morning of your wedding because you're saving a couple hundred bucks or a thousand dollars or whatever cooking food for your own wedding. I just want to say, don't get crazy in saving money where you are getting to the point of stressing yourself out and doing your own cooking. There are ways to get around you know, catering for things that you can cook in advance and freeze and defrost and get someone else to heat them up. Fine, do all that sort of stuff, but don't be taking on too much. This is my big warning to you, brides-to-be, grooms-to-be, bride chillers, my beautiful people, that sometimes we can take on things because we think it's good because we're saving money, but in the end, it makes us crazy and it makes us panic, and it makes us have full mental breakdowns, and that is not cool. Alcohol is one of those tricky areas that if you are trying to save mega bucks, then as much as I love booze, and that makes me sound like a booze hound, but I love a, I love a glass of champs as much as anyone, but if you're trying to save money, well, cut the alcohol, make it a cash bar, you know, that's a very quick way around saving money. The other thing to do is if you're in a self-catering venue that allows you to bring your own alcohol, I would suggest that you really shop around for good wholesale booze prices. And what we did is that we set, whenever we would see um, in Australia, Woolworths is the big shopping shopping uh, supermarket, and they have an uh, alcohol distributor. I can't remember the company that's attached to the supermarket. And whenever we would see alcohol specials, we'd picked the champagne that we wanted to have at our wedding. We knew what sort of beer and we had some spirits, I think. And whenever it would go on special, we would go and buy a case and our garage storage area would have been, I mean, if someone broke in, they would have had a great time, but we were just starting to accumulate this booze over about a six month period. So whenever we had a bit of extra money and we saw the sale come on, we would go and it would be like, you know, buy a dozen bottles of wine and get four for free or whatever. And we're like, crackerjack, we're going to go purchase. So we would keep an eye out for specials. And also, we would keep the receipts because at the end of the wedding, we knew that that company in particular allowed you to return the alcohol as long as it had the original packaging and you had the receipt. So as much as it pained us to return booze, there were some bottles of alcohol that we just knew we weren't going to drink in the future and we really could use the money afterwards. So we returned them. It's a really easy way to not feel sucked in. Just keep the receipts and don't feel, if you really need the money, don't put them in the cupboard and drink them. Or if you do, it's nice to have to take to other people's homes when you're uh, going along for a dinner. Or if you're having a party later on, it's good to have for catering. But remember to keep your receipts. I had a lovely bride recently write to me and sort of say that she went to her local conservatorium of music. And this is something I had suggested in the guide to getting hitched. As uh, my previous relationship, if you've listened to episode 001, I was engaged to a musician. So I started to learn a little bit about the music community. And um, this lovely bride that wrote to me said that she took me up on my suggestions of going to a local university, a conservatorium is where all the people go and learn about how to play music properly. A lot of classical musicians um, obviously attend these institutions and set up their own little groups orchestras, all this sort of stuff. And to be honest, it's a really good place to find local talent. People, you know, to get into a conservatorium, you have to be shit hot. You have to be good. So it is a really good suggestion. And I know I've made it. I'm saying this. But when she wrote to me, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But When she wrote to me, she said they went and just asked at the main desk who they would speak to about finding some classical musicians for their wedding. And they were guided in the right direction and got a really good deal because they were students. So if you are insisting on having live musicians, of course, that's one area that you can easily put on an iPhone, iPad, whatever your MP3 choice of uh, device is. You can put all your music on a device and not have to worry about it. But if you are really keen on having a live band, um, then I would say really hit up some of your local music institutions and find out if they have groups happening. And obviously, as students, people are wanting to earn extra cash. So it's really good to be able to put a flyer up or ask them if they can distribute it via the email system and say, hey, we're looking for a wedding band or we want a a salsa band or someone's doing some jazz, something like that, that they'll be able to put the word out. And maybe you can find an awesome group of future musical superstars to play at your wedding. Another idea I'm gaga about is the shared cake table desserts. It is fantastic. Like I can't tell you how much I love desserts and seeing cakes stacked up and seeing a big table of sweet things that I could just shove my face in. And it's so great to see that so many people are using this idea. I've seen it everywhere. It's great. With people saying, hey, everyone has signature cake or something they really like to make. So If you ask your family and friends, close people, I'm not saying everyone, you don't want 50 cakes, maybe you do, but to say, if you can make your signature cake, your favorite cake and bring it to the wedding, you could have a killer dessert table. And maybe you say, don't buy us a present, but bring us your favorite cake or pie. Oh, this morning I was on Pinterest and I saw a pie table to die for. Like I could have eaten the table. Honestly, it was amazing. And people really, when you ask them to do this, they really come to town because they're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to bring a shit cake. I don't want to be Auntie Nancy bringing along some piece of crap. You want to bring along something you're really proud of. And also it's a wedding. So if people go to the extra effort. I think it's a really good idea to save a bit of cash and totally inject some family loving into it and eat cake. OMGs. And that way you don't need to cater dessert. I also quietly think if you're paying for dessert with a caterer, you're crazy. If you've got cake, if you've got a dessert table, ofs. But if you've got cake, that's your dessert. Don't be serving 28 desserts. It's a total waste of money. It really is. But share the cake, share the dessert, get that going. Another really big trend, dare I use the word, is these like tables, shared tables of food. These are the the stations you read about, cocktail stations and, you know, uh, ice cream sundae stations. One thing I did see a girl write today um on one of the comment on the boards when I was looking up and she said, oh, we did a hot potato station. Now, that doesn't sound very glamorous, but when she described this amazing make-your-own-hot-potato station, I was like, actually if you're having a winter wedding, that's delicious. Potatoes are cheap. You can roast them ahead of time. And she said they did this amazing table of um, all the stuff. What would you say? Like your cheeses and your, your meats and all these special vegetables and people brought along all these uh, toppings. And it sounded amazing. I was like, oh my God. It, they've glamorized the hot potato and she'd come up with a way for them. People like a cool um, plating system that they'd ordered. They'd found some great plates that ordered online. It was dirt cheap, but she said, everyone remembered it. It was amazing. It was casual, but fancy in its own sort of special, unique way. And uh, I was like, that's a really good idea. And it's something you could totally do at home. You don't really need a caterer. And if you do have a caterer to do hot potatoes, it probably wouldn't cost very much. And yeah, it was, you know, worked for what they, the vibe of their wedding that they wanted to do. A big special note, and I do say this in the book a few times, if you're going to self-cater, you need to really think about making sure that the food is kept in a hygienic way. You don't want everyone spewing and shitting their pants four hours after your wedding because someone didn't put the bacon in the fridge. Just saying. You want to be sure that the food is prepared in a hygienic way. And I'm not saying that your mother-in-law's kitchen is not hygienic, but just make sure things are done properly and looked after because you don't want people to get sick. You really don't. And you don't want to get sued. Again, if you're bringing food into another venue, you will be asked probably to sign some sort of disclaimer about um, the fact that they have nothing to do with the food preparation and you will be solely responsible for, uh, the output of that food and the results of people eating that food. Again, if you are new to the podcast, I very much can say go back and listen, walk to the whole podcast, but there was a particular episode I recorded with a wedding lawyer, Christy Asselin, and she is fantastic. And in the episode that we did, she talks a lot about just covering your ass when it comes to uh, contracts, but also just making sure you know where you stand legally. If you're doing things yourself, um, who is covered for what and who you can fall back on if things go wrong. Very important that you think about these situations because people love to sue other people, even unfortunately, if you know them. Oh my giddy aunt, I have got a list of like 20 other things. Maybe I'll do another episode to follow this up. If you've enjoyed it, let me know, because this is something that, you know, saving money is not hard. You just got to think laterally. I will say my final two points, because I don't want to keep you. um, The final two points I have to say are when it comes to wedding dresses, I can, I, I can say this a hundred times and I know people listen and go, but I it's like white noise. Like, Oh, I don't want to hear this. Just listen to me for two minutes. There are thousands of other brides out there who are probably looking for the same dress as you or a similar dress. And they wear that dress when they purchase it. They might spend $5,000 or something crazy. And then they wear it. And then they go, oh my gosh, I now owe $5,000 on my credit card. I'm going to sell that dress so some other bride can wear it. There are so many marvelous, marvelous websites, stores that repurpose wedding dresses that only accept goods and consignments that are in top, top working condition that are cleaned professionally and that haven't been altered too much. If you aren't looking at these resources and you're on a budget, and even if you're not, you're crazy. I can tell you that you can go along and find this season's wedding dresses on a shelf for a quarter of the cost. If you have a dress in mind, a particular dress in mind, if you have, um, you know, if you know the, well, especially if you know the item number or some sort of specific information about that, a lot of the um, wedding dress seconds websites and secondhand websites will give you really crazy search options that you can go in and find really specific details about certain gowns and dresses. And people are just dying to sell them because they've spent all this money. So why wouldn't you go in and purchase it? especially if they, a lot of the conditions of sale are that they've had the dress professionally cleaned and there's also an escrow service. So if you receive the dress and it's not right, that you can return it. Read all, again, read all of the contracts, read all of the descriptions, make sure you get lots of photographs. But I just think you'd be crazy if you know what you want and you've tried it on in the shop and you can't afford it. Why would you not go and try and find a pre-loved wedding dress that's exactly the same? The biggest part of this episode, I wanted to say, the biggest message I wanted to get across to you is no matter what your budget is, you need to make it work for you. I don't think there should be any pressure as there often is in the wedding industry to spend a certain amount of money. It doesn't matter if you're getting married at the local courthouse for 50 bucks and you're going to have dinner with your loved ones and that's the wedding. That's amazing. It's a great day. As long as you share it with the people that you love... And you focus on what's important to you. It shouldn't matter how much money you spend. I'm always sort of shocked by this annual figure that people are saying, "Ah, oh, the average wedding cost is forty thousand dollars or whatever." I think that's sort of bullshit. We've talked before on the show about averages and how it works sort of in the wedding industry's favor to keep touting these huge numbers because then people feel obliged to spend that sort of money, or they go, "Well." I've heard that 70% of people do spend $40,000, so we better go and get a loan. And people, that sounds crazy, but people do it. And they sort of go, well, that's fine because I know that's what people spend. So yeah, it wasn't what we were expecting. We can't really afford it, but that's how much it costs. So meh. I don't believe that for a second. I think you need to spend what's, what is appropriate for you, what you find to be a realistic amount of money. So whether that is $500 or that's completely up to you. It's a completely personal decision, and there should be no judgment or guilt surrounding that, no matter what your figure is. However, my final point to you is something that I really learned over the past 123 episodes of this podcast. And it's an area that when we were planning our wedding, we didn't consider because we thought it was completely out of our price range. And maybe in Australia, it's sort of evolved a little bit in the sort of three years since we got hitched. But Wedding planners, day of coordinators are crazy valuable resources. Now you might be saying, hey Alicia, you're insane. I've only got $3,000. There is no way I can factor in a wedding planner into that budget. I need to cover all my stuff. Totally understand. However, I'm going to ask you Again, to think laterally, a little bit outside the box when it comes to this. You don't need to hire a wedding planner for the whole thing. You can sit down. I know you know a majority of the wedding planners I have on the show all offer services where you can sit down with them and have a cup of coffee for an hour, sometimes for free. Not all. Don't say Alicia said you'd do it for free. But for a certain small fee, we'll sit down and go through and help you coordinate your day. They are great people to bounce ideas off, to say, hey, have you done this before? Or do you know anyone that could help me with this? Or do you think that's a realistic time frame? Or do I need to get a permit for this? These are people that are often really happy to help you out. And especially if you can communicate to them, look, I don't have the cash to bring you on as a full-time wedding planner for our wedding celebrations, but I've heard wonderful things about you. Or I've heard you have organized a wedding in this national park. Could we go for a coffee and can I give you a $100 to help me figure out how to do my permits? Or how about we do a day of coordination deal where I pay you $500 and you come and run the whole day for me. And I do all the running around beforehand and get you all the information, but this is what we do. There are always solutions to these problems, but I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and Rich has said it before, and I'm sure he'll say it again, that on the day of our wedding, we did a lot of running around, and I would now happily have either foregone, foregone, foregoed, that's not correct, I would have given up something on our wedding day, some booze or something, to have had someone else run around and do the minor freaking out that I sort of did on the wedding day, and Rich did, and also, maybe we would have just saved a little bit of extra money, and popped an extra five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars in the kitty to have someone there to do that. I love our wedding day. I wouldn't really change anything for the world, but I probably would add <laughs> a professional to take a little bit of the heat off. So just because you again going back to photographers to say if you want to have a really good photographer go back to listen to episode 99 and 101 where I interview Laura Babb and she's a fantastic professional photographer and she gives some wonderful advice about going to a photographers and saying I'm sorry we can't afford to hire you for the whole day but we would love you there to shoot our wedding service how much would that be or we would just love you for two hours would you be able to do that and maybe shoot another wedding on the same day If you don't offer and ask, then people aren't going to come and offer this to you. So you need to think about how to get the best option, the best opportunities for you and your big day and be able to then schedule it and make it happen. So again, consider wedding planners, consider ringing around, doing your research, just picking their brains. And again, I don't want you to take advantage and say, I want all this information for free. Some people will not do that. Some people will not sit down and have a coffee with you. But if you explain and say, is there a fee or a service charge that I can give you for an hour of your time? Or can we sit down and do a workshop for a couple of hours? How do we make this happen? So, you know, there are always ways to be open and communicative. If this has been your first experience with the Save the Date Wedding Podcast, uh, well, welcome again. I'm really happy you've joined me. I hope this has been helpful. Again, I could have talked about this for about five episodes. And I'm sure I'll do another episode with more of the details about how to plan a micro budget wedding. Got some really good interviews coming up with wedding planners and experts. We've got the Isle Society team coming on and uh, a lot about wedding tech, how to use technology, like I said, wedding apps, all this sort of stuff to decrease stress Get things for free and cheap like invitations to compartmentalize all of this and save some money as well. So don't miss out. If you're not subscribed to the wedding podcast, all you need to do is go to iTunes, go into your little settings at the top and flick the subscribe button. It's absolutely free. And that means that all of my episodes will arrive in your little device, whether that's an Android or an iPhone uh, for free twice a week sometimes three if I do a Friday quickie as well. So happy to have you on board. Welcome again. And uh, to all of my lovely bride chillers and groom chillers, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the holiday season if that's where you are listening. And uh, I hope you get in touch. Visit savethedatepodcast.com for more information. Until Thursday's Q&A episode, I wish you happy days. Save the date wedding podcast. Don't plan your wedding without it.